God is amazing. I thought I'd better start with something fairly uncontroversial. It's always risky as a visiting speaker, you know. Better start with safe statements. God is absolutely, stunningly, incredibly amazing. You really, really can't do better than God. Yes, I think we're still on safe ground. Yes, a few. Um, you see, what, what I'll do is I'll keep going and we'll get gradually more controversial until suddenly about halfway through you're going to get worried. No, that's a joke, by the way. God is amazing and we'll stick absolutely to what the word says about him. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, I was, I was uh, busy, uh, just as we were worshipping, being amazed at God in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. And then um, Catherine stood up and uh, spoke a bit out of Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. But it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're looking mildly convinced so far. This is actually the Bible and not my words. Okay? You're allowed to sort of think about my words, but the Bible, I, I believe it. The whole lot. See, so, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now, I'm not very good at grammar. It took me 13 years to get uh, the lowest pass mark in French at school. So grammar's not my top spot. But I think that when it says has, it means has. <laughs> it has happened. It doesn't say God sort of thought about blessing us. It says God has blessed us. It's kind of a definite feel to that word, isn't, isn't there, you know? When you say, you know, I have a car, it's not a vague aspiration, it's not a kind of optimistic thought, you have a car. Well, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, again, not too complicated, every. (laughs) I think that's like everything. Yeah? I'm told this is a city of cleverish people. So, like, when it says every spiritual blessing, I'm willing, choosing, happy to believe that it means every spiritual blessing. That, you see, for some stunning reason, which sometimes I struggle to understand, God is for you. God is for me, and he's for you, as in for, with, wants the best for, you. Isn't that amazing? You see, the God who created absolutely everything is for you. He likes you. He's for you. He wants the best for you. And so, he has, has given you every spiritual blessing In Christ, full stop. You see, that is foundational to living the Christian life and to living out what we see in the book of Acts. It is absolutely, stunningly important to grasp that. I was once meeting with someone, um, we'd done a Bible study on this, and we sat down and he said, 
oh, I'd like to have more of that. I was like, there's a little problem there, isn't there? You can't have more of something you already have everything of. No, we've got it. It's already ours. And the, most of our growth as Christians is coming into something we already have. It's not like we have to somehow persuade God to have more to give us or to want to give us more. He's, he's like desperate to give us more, to see us come into more because we already have it. And the book of Acts is simply a bunch of people who grasped this and lived it out. They were like, oh my gosh, he has given us every blessing in Christ, so let's do it. Uh, So that's the entire book of Acts in two sentences. (laughs) Oh no, I've finished a series for you already, Steve. (laughs) Now, the thing about following the Holy Spirit is that he then asks you to do things. And sometimes when he asks you to do them, they don't entirely fit in with your plan for what you thought you might do. Ever had that one? You know? I'm a street pastor, and I pray before I go out, um, God, would you give us opportunities? But then, of course, what happens is he does. And it's like, ah, oh, so now I've actually got to offer to pray for this person. I'll tell you a few stories about that later. But right now I need to do something because God laid it on my heart. And it does lead into where we're going, but it might not seem obvious to start with. And I want to do something that is very, very un-British. Steve mentioned that um, I spent a couple, well, with Dee and my uh, elder two daughters, we spent two years living in France, about an hour south from where John and Norm were. Cool video, by the way, I like that. Um, uh, by the way, sorry, um, I, if you're like not of European culture, I've just been very rude. Um, I do apologise. My name, as Steve said, is Neil. Um, I have a wife as well called Dee, who would love to have been here, and three daughters, Zoe, Lucy and Naomi, who would also have loved to be here, but one's at a sleepover and the, other couldn't, the others couldn't make it on their own because, like, Dee couldn't make it because we were looking after somebody else's kids. So they say, like, they'd love to be here. They say hi, and they say, sorry, they're not here. Um, but that's us. And so we were in France for a couple of years. And so it was a, an interesting, fascinating, and forming experience. But the problem was I came back and I was never English again. Those of you who know me know that's true. And God like wants me to do something this morning, and I want to do it, but it's going to seem like a sudden shift. So I, hopefully I've been English enough and built you up to the fact that I'm about to do a massive U-turn. Are you ready? Okay, Stephen Bev, would you come here, please? One of the attributes of a church that hosts the presence of God is honour. And Steve and Bev cannot do this for themselves and they cannot ask their team to do it and they didn't ask me to do it and they wouldn't dare to because they're too nice. (laughs) But I want to honour them in front of you. Yeah, I know you're English and you'll hate this, but just get over it. (laughs) It's good for you. Yeah. You see... 
these guys have chosen to lay down their lives for God, for the gospel, for the kingdom, for the presence of God, for every one of you in this room, for everyone who passes through this room, whether once or 200 or 2,000 times, and to pray and pursue the call of God, not only on their lives, but actually, more importantly, on the church and on your lives. It's easy to look at them and say, I want to be a hero of faith, I want to lead a church. I know, because like, you know, when I was 20 and I sat in churches, I used to think that. It's an incredible privilege to lead a church, but easy isn't the word I'd use. And I want to honour these guys because they've chosen to lay their lives down for you and for the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you now to stand and applaud them. And I'd like to ask you to do me a favour. In the next two weeks, because there's enough of you to fill two weeks, try and think of something to honour them with practically. Drop them a card. Say something nice. Smile at them when you normally don't. I don't know. (laughs) Hug them. I don't know. But just honour them, please. Because... Honour changes our atmosphere and makes it more like heaven. Amen, guys. Thank you. You see, honour... Honour characterises the Godhead. That's a bit of a theological statement, isn't it? What does it mean? Well, honour which is what we've just done for Stephen Bev, is how God relates to God. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Honour is how God relates to God. The Father honours the Son. This is my beloved Son, whom I love. The Son honours the Father. I do nothing except what the Father tells me. The Spirit is sent that the works of the Son, honouring the Father and destroying the work of the devil, might continue. They honour each other. And as we honour one another and God, we develop a culture which is more heavenly. Yeah? Now, this is so un-British, it's not true. I mean, you know, our culture is built around lauding heroes until we see a crack and then levering the crack until men and women are destroyed. Now, I'm not for covering over sin. I'd like to say that. But I am for honouring what is good. Because what you honour... No. When you honour someone, you bring out the best in them. When you honour a context, you bring out the best in that context. And honour is an atmosphere. 
that the Holy Spirit likes to hang around in. Now, I don't think I've got this one licked. I wouldn't dare to claim that at Wantage we are a stunningly honouring church. But I know one thing. We're trying to build it. So if you've got Bibles, could you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please? Now, you're in this series on Acts, and you will probably note that in the next however many minutes I'm talking... Oh, blimey, that was a more time than I thought. Um, um, I'm very unlikely to actually get you to turn to the book of Acts, so I apologise for that, but I'm going to make a point now and later that will make sense and explain why. Now... The book of Corinthians um, was written by Paul, and the book of 1 Corinthians um, was written probably before the end of Acts, though I wouldn't want to be too definite about 1 Corinthians, because scholars argue about this left, right, and centre. But you see... If you want to really understand the letters in the New Testament, you have to understand that they are utterly linked to the book of Acts. There's this kind of, um, um, the clever word is symbiotic, but the easy word is like relationship between the letters and and Acts, because they kind of link together. So the classic in this is the book of Galatians, yeah? When you read the book of Galatians, if you just read it on its own, it's kind of like Paul having a go at the Galatians. And you're like, what are you on, Paul? But you see, generally, it's... Well, it is accepted the book of Galatians was written during the flow of the book of Acts. So while the book of Acts was going on, Paul actually wrote that letter to the churches in Galatia. Now, you might like to argue about exactly when it was written, but my personal belief is that it was written just before Acts chapter 15, the council in Jerusalem. So there's a council going on in Jerusalem that is two chapters after where you finished last time. And this is like the big council, okay? The question before the council is this. Can Gentiles, uh, that's probably most of us, be saved? And furthermore, when they're saved, do they have to basically become Jews and do all that law stuff, circumcision, etc.? So, by the way, whenever you read Acts chapter 15, if you're a bloke, think, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Um, Now, this has all come about because the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles, as you'll have seen in the last series, and all the Gentiles are busy getting saved. This is excellent. Now, some of the people who were Jews who had become Christians were going, hang on a minute, this doesn't work. Because, like, I'm a Jew and Jesus has saved me, and amen, bring it on. But now these guys are getting saved, so surely they have to do all the work stuff, the law, because they've come into the fullness of the law, which is Christ Jesus. That will be their argument. And Paul is going, no, but what's happening is, Paul has seen these various churches come into being, Gentiles getting saved, and these other people are rocking up to these churches and say, Paul gave you the first half of the story, now let's tell you how to do it right. And this is all going on behind the scenes in Acts, leading up to Acts chapter 15. And Acts chapter 15 is this big conference about, okay guys, what is the line? What is God saying here? And so, the book of, and so Paul is heading down to Jerusalem for the conference, okay? Because he turns up at it, he speaks at it, so he must have been there. And 
Galatians was probably written as Paul is, has to make a really tough decision. Does he go up to the churches in Galatia and sort out the fact that they've heard this NAF teaching and are getting disturbed by it and are ending up becoming law-abiding... No, that's the wrong word. Um, Law-following, circumcised, non-pig-eating Christians and get them to grasp that they don't need to do that because it's all by grace and they're free in the spirit? Or does he go down to Jerusalem to debate it at the, the big council? And Paul goes, no, I'm going to go to the council, but I need to write to the guys in Galatia. So I have this incredible picture of Paul on his horse, sort of preparing the book of Galatians. And every night he gets to an inn, on the way then, quickly writes a bit more of the letter. And somewhere along the way, he sends it up. You see, the point of me telling you that story is just to illustrate that the, the letters are intimately linked to the flow of the narrative of Acts. And the life of the Spirit is therefore key to both of them. And the book of Corinthians is the same. You see, Paul writes in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, few, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on <coughs> God's power. Yeah. Now, when Paul, what Paul is talking about there is fairly obviously, when he went to Corinth. When I came to you, when I went to Corinth. Now, Paul went to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. I think. He said, taking his notes. Sounds about right. 17 or 18. Yeah, it's 18. And um, he went to Corinth just after he'd been in Athens. Now, in Athens, Paul preaches um, a sermon... And it's generally considered to be a bit of a stunner, really, in terms of philosophy, in terms of cultural adaption, in terms of really communicating the truth of God to a people who didn't understand God. Scholars examine it and they laud it. It is beautiful. It is well-worded. It is persuasive. It is just stunning. It's in Acts 16 or 17. And some people got saved, it tells us. Clearly, this bothered Paul. Because when he went to Corinth, he didn't use the same material. Now, this, you know, I don't know if this has ever struck you. If you've got a good sermon, use it everywhere you go. You know, and yet Paul, having just preached this absolutely stunning, philosophically brilliant, amazing sermon, goes on to Corinth and changes everything he does. Why? Because he grasped, I would suggest to you, that some getting saved out of human wisdom 
wasn't the full gospel. No. The full gospel, the whole gospel, is utterly centred on Christ, which our words can be, and the power of his resurrection, which only the miraculous can be. You see, the gospel is incomplete if it is only words. The gospel is incomplete if it is only words. Now, it is obviously loving actions as well and living life his way. But it is also the miraculous. So there I was. I'll just uh, move that so I don't kill myself. There I was on the streets of Wanted. It was 1.30 a.m., I'd guess. And um, this lad was walking from uh, one bar to the next. Um, uh, how can I put this? Straight walking wasn't his strong point. <laughs> anyway, we got chatting to him. I was out, obviously, I was out as a street pastor and mean... Someone else on the team got chatting to him and uh, he was telling us this and that and that and this. And I thought I might have detected a bit of a limp in him. But, you know, wasn't easy to tell. Um, so, I think, prompted by the Holy Spirit, I said, um, anything up? You all right? He said, no, my knee. My knee's not good. My knee's not good. I said, oh. And this is that, you know... You know, you know, you pray for these moments and then sort of semi-regret it. Uh, can I pray for you? Uh, yeah. Oh. That was the answer I wanted, but I hadn't expected it. So, uh, so there we are. I mean, you know, it's 1.30 in the morning. Um, there he is, not entirely sober. Me and a friend are stood there, and it's like, so we're praying, and you know, uh, praying with people on the streets, as a general rule, you don't, it's not like at the end of a meeting where you can like, you know, be calm and, you know, how are you? And what's God saying to you? There's no time for any of that, you know. So you just say, we're stood there looking at each other going, Father God, um, would you heal so-and-so's knee? Would you just make it better? Would you come in? Would you sort it out? And uh, the person playing with me said, amen, or something like that. I can't remember why I prayed as well. And he said, thanks, and left. I was like, what's that about? Anyway, about a month later, I was out street pastoring again. And, I, you know, it's one of those weird ones. You're like, what do you do with that, God? So anyway, he turns up. And he says, do you want to talk to me? And I was like, yeah, sure. How are you? How's it going? And he says, um, I say, how's the knee? Oh, I say, that one's way better than the one I told you about. Fine, absolutely brilliant, but this one's really hurting. So I say, can I pray for your other knee then? So we do. And then he leaves. Another month later, the miraculous doesn't like our timescales, or at least in my experience, but anyway. Anyway, his other knee gets better. But you see, he now knows. I wish he'd actually stopped still long enough for me to actually tell him the gospel bit as well. But, you know, we will get there. But you see, he knows... That God heals. He knows that God is for him. Because only a God who is for you will heal your needs. 
By the way, there are some people here today, and God wants to heal your knees, just as an aside. We'll get to that later. God is in the business of healing because, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, off the top of my head, verse 1 to 4, I think, the gospel is certified effectively by the miraculous. The gospel is explained in words but certified by the miraculous. Now, I'm not using the word that's in the text there, but it turns up elsewhere, this sense, and we catch this sense in the Corinthians passage we've just read, read that the, the power of God is kind of like the, the authenticating stamp of the gospel. When I was in France, they were really, they're really big on the stamp of companies. So you have to get the, to prove you've been, you know, that this has come from the company. It has to have the company stamp on it. You know, and you have to go and get the company stamp on your bit of paper. You know, and they're really big on that. I don't get it, but anyway, they liked it. So, miracles are exactly that. It's God saying, not only did I do this stuff as a well-explained theory, but I love you and I'm going to heal you and I'm going to show my power because I'm for you. Because I want you to be well. Because I don't want your brain to be tormented. I don't want anyone to live in torment. And if you want to see how important this was to Paul, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Now Romans was also written before the end of the book of Acts. Because in it, Paul is writing to the Romans having not been to Rome. And at the end of the book of Acts, where is Paul? Rome. Therefore, this book was written before that. See, what I like about theology is you don't have to be clever to do it. You don't look convinced. It's true. Romans chapter 15, verse 17. I just so love the Bible. It's brilliant. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. This is Paul writing, obviously. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So Paul has fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now that fully word, remember what we said about every earlier? It's the same kind of idea. Fully, nothing missing, complete, utter. But you see, what he, what he says just before that is, <laughs> by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God what I have said and done. For Paul, a full proclamation of the gospel had to include signs and wonders and a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Without that, it was incomplete. Now you see, supposing, and I didn't make this point up, I'm nicking it from a guy called Bill Johnson, Supposing that that passage had said something like this. All that Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to God by what I have said and done by the power of fasting. 
We would read that much more easily, wouldn't we? Because, you see, we could do fasting. Okay, it's not very pleasant, let's face it. And, you know, your breath tends to smell. And, uh, you know, it's a little hard to stay, you know, um, polite with everybody after the fifth day. But, but we can do that. We could set up fasting schools. Because, you know, to fully declare the gospel, you have to say the gospel and fast. Well, excellent, we can do that. But you see, actually, it's not the gospel if it's us making it happen. The full gospel, the whole gospel, the complete gospel is God. The focus is never the miracles. The focus is God. And the full declaration of his incredible good news that we can be utterly forgiven, that we can know that we're going to eternity in the best place ever and that we can know him day by day as a friend, as a leader, as a strengthener, as a supporter. The gospel is incredible that all the pain in our life can be released and set free and we can be forgiven and the sort of stamp, the seal of approval is the power of the spirit doing the miraculous and setting us free along the way. God wants to unlock mindsets that are locked up this morning. He wants to set minds that have been caged in the wrong way free. People have been limited. He wants to set them free. Now, it changes how people think. So there's this lady who lives in a village near us. I never... Yeah. I'm a kind of city boy. Uh, I'm still learning how villages work. But it seems to me that villages work like this. You have, like, a few people, and they all know each other. And they all know their problems. Which is really cool if you want to do something like Alpha. Because they all talk to each other anyway. So you just give them another venue to do the same thing and put some content in. Anyway, I hadn't worked this out, by the way, but a member of the Wanted Church had worked this out. I credit her with this remarkable discovery. Um, and um, so she just invited part of her village gang to her place to kind of chat. And she put some content in, and it kind of rolled into Alpha, and they're doing Alpha, and I walk up and we do the Holy Spirit Day, and all these terribly nice middle-class, no, 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 upper-middle-class ladies, terribly nice ladies... Other thing about villages in rich counties, the lunches are excellent. <laughs> I mean, no, you're just, just stunning. Um, incredible, incredible kind of turkey salad we had. I mean, wow. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Now, um, you see, so we do this whole day, and there, it's rich in the presence of God, but it's, it's so culturally alien to people who've been brought up in our culture, particularly in an upper middle class religious observing culture, that their minds are like, wow, we don't get this. So we said, well, we'll we'll come back. And Dee went back, Dee, my wife, went back a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And and they were doing Does God Heal Today? Now, you know, if you're of the stiff upper lip class, uh, God doesn't heal today, but he might help you to be miserable. (laughs) With less Miserableness, I think. Anyway, so this is like, they're like, 
what planet are you on, basically? These are having this conversation that boils to people like, you know, someone from Mars and someone from Venus having a conversation. Anyway, so Dee says, right, well, look, what are, your, what are the issues you guys are facing? Because like, we just need to pray about them, really. Neither something's going to happen or it isn't. Anyway, one lady says, well, clearly God cannot do anything about this, and outlines a situation in her family, which, you know, on the scale of bad to utterly disastrous, is near the bad end of that scale. I mean, you know, I don't want to say what it was, you know, I'd like to stay her friend and all the rest of it, so, but just trust me, on the scale, we're talking pretty bad. She says, God is clearly, she says, never going to do anything about that. So, Dee says, we'll pray. And we send it out on our prayer text. We have a daily prayer text in Wantage, and uh, sometimes uh, we put prayer requests on it. We try and anonymize them in case they get back, but there you go. Um, so we, we send it out, and that week, the, the situation that was heading down, it was just bad. Basically, at the very least, it took a major U-turn in the right direction. How cool is God? You see, all my attempt to talk them into getting baptised in the Holy Spirit and saved didn't work. Oops. Because, a bit weird. But now, these ladies are a bit bemused, because that's as far as you get on the emotional scale if you're in their class. <laughs> they're, they're just so lovely, I love them, they're just brilliant. But, you know... Outrageous displays of emotion we're not going to get. <laughs> Mild happiness is pretty good. Um, but they are, I mean, this lady is like, huh? The gospel has been certified. See? So, how do we cultivate the miraculous? That's a good question, isn't it? Yeah, this is the point where all good lecturers, which I wasn't, say, I'll leave that as an exercise to the reader. No, only kidding. <laughs> there was that moment of uncertainty where you thought, he's actually about to stop having asked the question. No. There are ways to cultivate the miraculous. It is very noticeable in the book of Mark and Matthew that when Jesus comes to his hometown, he can do very few miracles because of the lack of faith. Now, I'd like to make a suggestion for you, to you. I'm guessing you might be like me in this regard. I can't make myself have more faith. Have you ever tried that? So, you know, you have those mornings, you know, you get up, and your faith level is somewhere about, if I flick the light switch, the light will come on. Yeah? You have those mornings? But actually, if the light didn't come on, you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> You'd be like, So, imagine you, you, know, you were the kind of person who took a bath in the morning. I realise you probably all take showers, but just suppose you only had a bath. And so you're in that kind of light, light switch hoping mode, and you run the bath... No amount, in my experience, of going, I am a man of faith, I am a man of God, oh yes, I am the man, I carry the anointing, oh yes, is going to make me walk on the water of the bath. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. However, 
there are things we can do that cultivate faith. And as we cultivate faith, we cultivate the miraculous. Because we cultivate an expectation of God, which is faith. Oh, I better tell them to you, hadn't I? Sorry. The first one, you'll be glad there's only three, and they all begin with W. And now you're trying to work out how I get honour into a W, if you've tied together where we started. Worship. No surprises there. Worshipping God releases us to faith. And as we are released to faith, we see more happening. So, there's this guy called Dr. Arn Elson. Anyone heard of Dr. Arn Elson? No. Dr. You have? Yeah. So he's like in Scandinavia somewhere. At least I think, because he sounds Scandinavian. Now, for more like, I did go to his website, but his website is kind of vague and also not written in English, which didn't help. I did read the Google translation, but the one page I really wanted to read came out blank. Anyway, I have heard someone talk about Dr. Arnelson, so on that basis, I'll say the following. Dr. Arnelson is a medical doctor, and he decided that he would worship God every 10 minutes. Now, as it happened, he had a 10-minute appointment cycle. So, between his appointments, he would pause and pick something to worship God for. God, you are wonderful. God, you are amazing. God, I thank you that you saved me. God, that's such a beautiful view out of my window. Thank you for the way you made my world. Thank you for your blessing on me. God, thank you for that patient I just saw, who was just much easier than I expected. God, thank you that your presence is with me now, that your power is on me now, that you love me. God, thank you that you chose me. There's actually quite a lot we can thank God for. If you ever run out, the, book of, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are packed full of things you can thank God for. Roughly one of us for three chapters. It's pretty good. So anyway, Dr. Arne Elson picks up this habit. I was really looking at his website to try and get these numbers because I couldn't remember the numbers from when I heard the story. But we'll just go with the simple. Suffice to say, since he has begun that habit, he has seen more and more and more people, not only cured medically, but healed miraculously. Why does this not surprise us? Worship helps us to cultivate the miraculous. But obviously... We're doing it because we're worshipping God, not because of any outcome. God, we worship you because you're wonderful. Because you are above everything. Because you're quite stunning. There's just no one like you. And we love you. And yet you choose to hang out with us. How remarkable is that? Another attitude to cultivate is wonder. Wonder. We're all born with wonder. Have you ever seen like a one or two year old child when they when you pour water out in front of them? They're like, that is so amazing. And as they're going, wow, it's like you can see life come bubbling up in them because wonder 
somehow connects us to the amazingness of life. And the amazingness of life is sourced in God. And wonder somehow links us to that. I don't get this, but I know it's true. Because as we wonder about things, we get back to being childlike. You see, the difference between childlike and childish is childlike understands wonder and childish is foolish. But childlike goes, wow, that's amazing. When I was at college many years ago, there was a guy in uh, my year who was studying maths and he was uh, quite tall and quite broad and really quite a good rower. Uh, But he wasn't always, shall we say, entirely connected to the real world. Um, I mean, he was a great guy, and I won't tell you his name because that would be unfair, but in the college I was at, there, there was like quads and stuff, and in one quad there was a really, really big old tree. And he walked into the quad one day, and he said, wow, that tree is so old, they must have built the college around it. Now, everyone else went... What planet are you on? Huh? He's mad. Including, to my shame, me. Because I'd lost wonder. I'd lost wonder. I'd lost the... I'd been so busy being cool, well, sort of trying anyway, and... (laughs) So I... There's enough people here who know me that, like, I can't get away with anything. (laughs) Uh, Or... And adopting the spirit of the age of sarcastic cynicism and, you know, oh, we're so clever, aren't we? We're in Oxford. Or nearly. (laughs) That I'd lost wonder. The ability to stop and look at a tree and go, that's amazing. We were walking the other day uh, with my girls. One of them stopped and pointed down at the ground. Just look at that. What is it? And it's some kind of centipede, millipede thing. She's like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. So I suggested that we should have a game next time we went out for a walk to see who could find the smallest amazing thing on a walk. My daughter suggested maybe we could find the biggest amazing thing because that would be easier. <laughs> but hey. She wondered. I was at somewhere recently that was cold. I've never seen this before. I was walking in this cold room and there was a fly walking along the floor. And I picked it up. Have you ever picked a fly up? <coughs> okay, look, I realize I'm not suggesting it. Just put the health and safety caveat in. Do not do this at home. It's not a good idea. Have you ever picked a fly up? It just walked on my hand. I was like, wow, that's amazing. See, the room was so cold that the flies whatever system was kind of shut, semi-shut down. And of course, the first thing I thought, if I'm honest, was how cool I could kill it. But, <laughs> but I'm trying to get out of that mindset. I'm trying to develop wonder as part of my being because wonder links us to God. Oh. Now, Oh, there's a a picture in that fly, but I'm going to run out of time. We'll have to do it later. Now, third thing, welcome. Welcome. I'd like to suggest that welcoming Jesus in 
encourages him to turn up. Okay, I'm on a bit of a theological problem there because we all know he is here. Yeah? He's everywhere. Holy Spirit everywhere. Therefore, he's here. But there's something about welcoming God, welcoming Holy Spirit, welcoming Jesus that unlocks it. So imagine that you were the, the one person in the world who was the best at something. Now, you know what that might be for you, but you were just the world's best basket weaver, or whatever it is. Okay? Now, and everybody in the basket weaving world wanted you to come and weave baskets with them, because you were just brilliant. Now, where would you go? You could go everywhere. I'd like to suggest you'd go to the places where they welcomed you. Because, like, it's just obvious. And whilst God is not small-minded like we can be, he does like and finds it easier to hang around with those who welcome him. It's not rocket science. Worship, wonder, and welcome. And honour is, of course, part of wonder and welcome. It just all fits together. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. And this morning, God wants to call us up. Uh, How are we going to do this? If you are involved in the medical professions in any way whatsoever, would you be willing to raise a hand? Brilliant. You see now? Thank you. Hold up high. It's something to be proud of. You're not meant to use that word in England, are you? Sorry. Um, it's a good thing. And I told the story about Dr. Arne Elson on purpose because I am for the medical professions. Okay? We are for the medical professions. Nothing I have said this morning is against the medical professions. We are for you. What we'd love to see is you healing people or seeing people healed, both medically and miraculously. Does that sound good? Okay. And what I'd like us to do is... See, you have a great advantage over everybody else. What do you think it is? You meet more sick people. (laughs) It sounds really stupid, but it's true. You will meet, as being in the medical profession, more sick people than the rest of us. Therefore, guess what? You have a greater opportunity to see heaven come than the rest of us. Never forget this. When you walk into your GP surgery or the house that you're doing nursing in or the hospital or wherever it is you practice your bit of medicine, even medical administration, never forget, when you walk in, the odds get better. Because you carry the Spirit of God. When you walk in, the odds get better. And I'd like us to pray for you, if that's okay by you. Would you be willing to stand up? Oh, sorry, that's stand up if you'd like to, please. I should have done the willing bit. If you're in the medical professions, that is, sorry, that wasn't clear, would you be willing for us to pray for you? You don't have to, but I'd quite like to see God's power released through you. It's all right, we'll get on to more, uh, to more general stuff in a minute. But you see, these guys are part of your missionary force. They are carrying the power of God into a broken place where men and women need to be healed both miraculously and medically or some weird combination of both that I don't understand. 
Bring it on. Right, let's all... If you're new to this kind of church, by the way, and you're like your first week in Oxford and you're thinking, whoa, this is weird, you don't have to do any of it. Just sit there and kind of enjoy the atmosphere. But if you're kind of cool with it, I'd like you to raise a hand towards these people. And that's just a symbol of saying, Father, send your spirit. We're kind of saying, send your spirit. We can't all lay our hands on them, which is biblical, but we can say, God, anoint these people. God, anoint these people. Father, we pray, I pray now, that you would raise up faith and miracle-cultivating habits in the lives of these medical people. Father, would you release it, Lord God? Would you meet with them now and unlock something in their heart that day by day, as they encounter the sick and the needy, they would know your words for them. They would know your power for them. You would unlock in them the capacity and the bravery to see prayers happening, prayers answered, and people healed miraculously. Lord, I pray that they would become known as the people who see more healing than anyone else in their areas. Not only because they're brilliant medically, but because also they see the power of God at work in their context. Lord, anoint them in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We want to honour you for what you're doing for the kingdom. Well done. Bring it on. Now, are there any words of knowledge, meeting leader type people? No. Okay. There are some people here with needs that God wants to heal. There are some people here who God wants to unlock and set free. And what was the third one? I wrote three down. Oh, yeah. There are some people here who've lost hope in something good. It's like you had something good, you pursued it, but it let you down, although it's too much, and you've lost it. And it's like become a bind on your mindset that you just can't do it anymore. God wants to set you free to enjoy good things. It's like somehow good things have become bad. You used to think they were good, but now they're bad. They're just, oh, just too much. God wants to set you free to enjoy his goodness and his good things. God wants to do that. But you see, I thought what we'd do is we practice. We're going to worship, and we're going to welcome Lord Jesus now. So I'd invite us all to stand, please. We're going to worship.